Welcome to That's What Nee Said. I'm Nee, a mother and an entrepreneur. This is my journey to find a footing in life, well, at least try to, and what I have to say about it. Hi, everybody.、Um, sorry, I missed last week. It was just I tried really hard. I really didn't want to miss. Um, this you know putting out、um, podcast regularly, but last week I just could not manage it. I had taken on two new podcasting、uh, producing clients, so it's just getting getting into the swing of things. And I've been putting a lot of time because we're going to take some time family time off to visit family other parts. So、um, I couldn't just leave my yard gate you know busted wide open. So I've been putting all of my time to making sure I fix it. And the thing that made it so difficult, that made it take so long, is because I didn't want to buy any new material. We have a lot of scrap wood lying around, you know, all of them are uniformed, different sizes. And、um, I got this back when, you know, before lumber became so ridiculous. Back when you can still get go dig through the the coal wood pile at the big box stores. I got this free big piece of、um, lattice. That I wanted to use to build my gate, the yard gate, and I made the first half, and it it, it looked really pretty, and it wasn't the most sturdiest door in the world, of course, but it was, you know, it was it was right, all right, and but it doesn't, you know, it's mixed matched. The other half is different, so for the longest time I've been putting it off forever, but I need, I know I needed to build that second half, so for the past three weeks, on and off, whenever I can set aside a day or two. I was just laser focused on building that second half, and then that second half, again, it's just because I'm not starting from a clean slate. I have to correct a lot of the problem they already existed, that already existed, and then you know that big piece of lattice is really difficult to cut. So I didn't want to make any kind of size changes, and then just being able to.、Um, Use every single piece of scrap wood laying around without having to, you know, it, it probably cost me, in terms of true cost, not you know labor or anything like that. In terms of true cost, I want to say that door probably cost me thirty five dollars, and just because I you know insisted on using scraps, if I had to buy new material, I would have got it, had it done so much sooner, but it would have probably ended up costing about. Between one fifty to two hundred, which is again, it's not it's not going to break our bank, but it's one of those things. Like if I can save it right now, and it's just because who fucking pays ten bucks for one piece of treated two by four? Like it's just unacceptable. And then again, if you look, if you've been following it, the price of lumber is actually not climbing anymore. But the big box stores, they're not loosening. They were they've had a taste of you know raised. Price tag, they're not bringing it down anytime soon. There is no competition because the market, the demand is still there. So、um, it's just purely because I couldn't bring myself to put two hundred dollars. Also because we we need that money on something else. There's so much to be fixed in that yard. We need that money more some on something else. So it's just my personal. It was my personal mission to do this. So I finally got that done. Now if I just when we leave, I put a lock on it. I actually put a latch on it. The latch on it, lock it. I will actually feel 
Okay, now the gate is small animals can still get into the yard. Or if you really limbo down, maybe you can get through the gate, the bottom of the gate. It's not one of those, there is like a six inch um, space between the bottom of the gate and, this, and the, the ground. But, you know, I feel okay leaving the, uh, being on a vacation with a house like that. So that's, and then, you know, on top of new clients and everything. That's why I just, I just could not find time last week without a new episode. I do apologize. I try not to do that. That's highly unprofessional. So, and I've been thinking about this week, what I, what I was going to talk about. So this week, I wanted, I was deleting a lot of old photos because just like everyone else, I was running out of storage on my phone from, you know, because I have a bajillion photos on my phone. And I was going through them and some old memories came up. So back in 2018, I want to say, I, um, that was when we first got to Okinawa and then Ingmar Esma was deployed at the time. And I was just sitting on my hands. There was nothing, nothing I was doing. And this is, and this brings me back to one of my life vision. I used to call it a mission, but I have, I really am at this point, I'm uncertain if I will ever actually get to work on it. It will be great. And I can really close my eyes and rest in peace if I actually ever worked on it and did something with it. But it is one of those things that at, at the moment, it's just a vision that I have. I hope I will one day get to work on it. So my personal, personally, I believe in an education system, especially for, um, uh, let's say, before high school, that age bracket, I really envision it quite differently from how things are done right now. Oh, found these photos. Let me see. What year was this? Yeah, 2018. So the February of 2018. Um, so I've always had a vision of I wanted to do something with that, not revolutionized, but just something innovative with the education system that we have right now. And I'm thinking on both sides. Um, either um, both in China and in the States. Because the way I see it, obviously, in terms of scaling, it's going to be drastically different between a small region and something that's you're going to roll out nationwide. But just as a pilot project, I really do see that this can be used in you know wildly different cultural and geological um, areas. Um, but I, you know, I didn't really have a background in education or, I don't know, school administration, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just, I never really, I didn't know where to start. And at the time, um, I had some savings on my hand from, you know, previous work. And I say savings, like I was able to save because my mom kind of bailed me out from time to time. So I had a little money. And then um, I had been following this lady. Um, uh, on social media for quite a while. At that point, probably at least a year or two. So um, this lady, she is, her last name is Lee. I don't know, if, I, I'm sure she has an English name, but I just never really paid attention to it. Because, you know, I only read materials in Chinese regarding um, her projects. Um, so it's one of those stories. She is one of the elites. From the elite class, she was highly educated. She, at a very young age, worked for multiple, you know, global organizations. She worked for the Gates Foundation. She worked for a bunch of like big name international corporations, and she has been doing 
really wild. And then it's one of those stories. She had kids, kind of comes to age. She was not, it was either not easy or she was not happy with what she had been seeing in terms of the local education um, resources that's available to her, which again, probably was pretty good. You know, she was in a really good position to send her kids to maybe the best schools in the area. But she kind of see education a little differently. And she had the, the knowledge, the resources, and you know the, the social network to really pull together a private school and where they you know really in terms of actual work groundwork they um, innovated and then tried to revolutionize the way education is being practiced so and then the I've been following the project since it was since the concept was formed and and then at that point, it was already starting to show success. It was catching on that they're after their pilot project in Beijing, and then they're starting to expand. And then, um, so somewhere end of 2017, they have announced that they want to uh, put together this um, this group of educators or people who you know you don't have to necessarily be a teacher or a, a principal or something, but if you are working in relevant field or if you just have the the curiosity and the enthusiasm to really explore what this is um what others are doing they you know it was kind of it's kind of mutually understood that finland has really good public education system and the in terms of again in terms of public education um they're considered top-notch there are some kind of scores that they use to measure these kind of success again i don't remember much of the details given this is four years ago. Um, so they, they were saying like they want to put together this group and then they said, you know, everything paid for um, and during the group we will get to meet, uh, we'll get to tour and visit and talk to local schools, students, and educators. We'll actually get to talk to one of the, um, um, uh, we'll get to talk to, there was one particular city, again, uh, Forgive me for not remembering too much of the details. I couldn't find the actual documents from you know, four years ago. Uh, we went to this one of the cities that's right outside of the capital that has really famous public school systems. And then we went and talked to members of the city hall. And um, it was just a basically a, a tour of uh, the Finnish public school system. And we visited um, pre-K through 12. Did we visit? We did actually, no, we pre-K all the way through. We visited um, high school. Well, that's, that's 12, right? Yeah, so pre-K through 12. And then just basically get a somewhat holistic picture of what it's like over there, which for a kid to go through a public school situation. And, you know, to see how they are training, how they are kind of screening and training their teachers and what they conceive education to be, what the purpose is, you know, their their philosophy behind it. So I basically when going in as a completely um, noob, knowing basically nothing but my own thoughts on education, I went on this trip. Met a lot of interesting people. A lot of them truly dedicated and, and still are are dedicating their lives in trying to bring better quality education to kids in China. And I really, really admire that. And you know, I think, 
I don't recall anybody who is actually like a public school teacher. I think it's most mostly people who have like a you know a business vision or something, or they're working for private schools and this kind of, this and that. So it's a very interesting and unique group. And then we went and uh, started from Helsinki and then, and then also the, the a few satellite cities around there. And I just wanted to, and I, I just realized I never really, I mean, I mentioned it to a few friends when it come up in conversation, but I actually never really sat down and reflected and talked about what I saw on that trip and really kind of helped myself document what I really got out of that. I remember a few weeks ago when I kind of complained about witnessing educators, teachers here in the States just being so uninspiring and I personally deem unfit to mold the young minds of tomorrow. And I didn't necessarily receive criticism, but just in passing, um, I have received feedback. Obviously, I kind of expected it. You know, I was I was told it was too generalizing to this and that. Which you know, when I was talking about it, I already said I understand there are good teachers out there, but don't let's not act like these just get by by the minute teachers don't exist. So the one thing, the first thing that I really, really, really liked about the Finnish system. And then again, you don't have to tell me about, oh, America is so much bigger, because that's always my go-to. Like anytime anybody brings up anything good about this or anything that is effective in the Scandinavian region, I would always say, but you got to really, the amount of planning and work and resources that's going to have to go into it for that this exact same thing to work in America is monumental. So I really, I, coming from that perspective, I understand the difference. But I'm just saying there are some principles that that's worth considering and, and adapting. So the, the um, first like principal difference between the Finnish system and Finnish educators and the ones, the, the majority of what we see here in the States is that they really try quite hard. Obviously, I didn't go through the system myself. I don't know how scrutinizing it was, but they really try very, very hard weeding out the people who does not want to devote their life into being an educator. Again, in their system, I think when, uh, when you become a public school teacher, you it's basically a civil servant or like a federal employment kind of deal. So even you don't need to be tenured. Like you don't, unless you know you make some egregious mistake, you're not going to get fired, laid off. Um, and then, then because this position is somewhat permanent, they try really hard, and then it's just part of their core belief. They don't believe in people just come kind of teaching as a job. Like they want to know you are here because you want to be a teacher. This is something you're in for the long haul. And there is truly given the choice, there is nothing else you would rather do than teaching. They do that at the very beginning when you're trying to get into the programs that allow you to receive full training and the credit. Uh, uh, credit the credit to become a teacher eventually that's the first step they try it over and over again through different you know different screening process and different projects just to really makes you think about is this something you really want to do so that already kind of sifts out the group of people who 
you know, just doing teaching because eh, so they really don't have any other skills. And that's really different and really what I personally would like to see changed in a lot of um, slightly less resource-rich regions in the States. Because what you see a lot is, you know, you, you come from this, you grew up in this town, there is nothing you want to do, there is nothing you can do, or there is just no other opportunities available to you in this area because of the, you know, the economic um, standing of your, of your town. And you just, you teach. And um, had you, were you given any opportunity slightly better than that? And by better, I mean mostly probably because it pays better. You would jump ship at the drop of the hat, like not even blinking. So they just try not to create that kind of atmosphere. Like if you want to teach, we're going to guarantee you a comfortable living. You're not going to get rich. You won't be able to take international trips multiple times a year. We're not be able to be able to afford that because that's not a basic human right. If you right, if you want to live a lavish um, lifestyle, then kind of efforts needs to be made. So being a teacher, you are you will be taken care of, but what they ask of you is you are completely devoted to doing this. And you are devoted to bettering it. They're not just, you know, obviously, again, there's always teacher who just do the same crap for 20 years and retire, but they just try to really encourage teachers to from where they are and with what they have, just keep innovating. And then just keep observing your students, that kind of stuff. So I, I like, you know, whether or not that culture gets to survive and thrive and stay with the teacher their entire career, the, you know, it's unknown. But it's a really good starting point. In, instead of, you know, creating this atmosphere of, uh, or this, this culture atmosphere of young people not considering teaching as a viable career, because they will never get them rich. If you want to, you know, not to sanctify teachers and then just to, you know, ask them to live off of praise, but just to understand, like, it, it's, a, it's a choice, it's a decision that you make for yourself that you want to devote your life in this path. It's a safe path, but there's going to be a lot of work and you won't get to be as rich as some of these other jobs that other people hold. And uh, just it's very honest, really, and I like it. You know, I just think, and I think it's it's good to it's just like how we're advocating for workforce development, how we're kind of advocating for um, advocating for people to um, kind of repaint the image of a blue collar job. It's the same. But teaching is the same. It's just if we as a society can stop looking down on teaching as the, the fallback job, saying things like, you know, the people can't do anything in their professional field to go back to teaching, go to teaching. And that's, that's wrong. Because if you can't succeed anywhere else outside of the system, you cannot succeed as a teacher either. And if you're not successful as a teacher, you are a failure. And in a, failed, in a failure cannot be an educator. That's not the person you want to show future generations how 
you know, to start their, that's not a good starting point. That's not a good role model for the kids. So that's a start, that's a foundation that I really like. They're like, they're very stringent on who actually gets to get on the system, getting the, getting this, these programs to get their masters, to write these incredibly long essays on, you know, regarding education and develop their own methods and theories right off the bat. So basically, oh, the the presentation we were given is by the, um, the the local city minister of education, and then they were saying, and then their team, and then they were saying they were presenting to us this report of uh, this group of findings on the relations between innovation, quality of public education, and I, I remember it was quite localized. Yeah, they had a they had a within a certain geological boundary, so they're not talking globally. They're purely like because they're developing programs that are fit for local residents and local students. So they're saying like they see a direct correlation between the quality of public education and you know expansion of STEM programs, STEAM programs, I should say, to industrial innovation that further brought back or created um, economic power in this local region. So that's how, how and why the, basically the entire city or you know, this, the taxpayers in this area have agreed to prioritize funding education because they actually had the numbers to show people, look, it's not just about teaching your kids to read and write. It's about everything that's connected to this town and the, the future of our town. It's not just saying they're actually showing people numbers to convince taxpayers so we're going to use this money to do these programs that we already designed and this is how that's going to benefit us it's not just build on the dream it's not built on virtual signaling they actually went in did the study got the numbers and used that to present to the taxpayers got the money and build a program um and that i i thoroughly i was i was quite impressed again very small city so is it much easier for them to gather all the, da uh, the data and all that? Yes. But then again, the work was the work still had to be done. So any small town in America, if they wanted to adapt this kind of, if they're willing to put in this amount of work, they're willing to adapt this kind of principle, they can do it. You, it's, it's impossible to do this on a federal level. I understand. You can't expect Washington to do this. But in, if you are in any kind of position to float this kind of idea or putting the work to pull together a team to do this for your town is possible and they've already done it um and then yeah history of the teacher education and then they were kind of um presenting to us the the standard um standard um path in terms of how teachers are um screened trained and graduated and um, that's all fairly standard. One thing I do remember, um, I remember it because it was so different from what I grew up with. Because when I was growing up, you always had one teacher for a specific subject. And they teach, I want to say from, for hours, for the schools I went to, every year they had a teacher assigned for a specific subject. Also because our, our classes are so much bigger. Our class, you have, imagine we have like big, any given time, there is between 35 to 45 kids in our class. So you cannot have a teacher teach multiple classes or, you know, give them too much more responsibility on top of that. Um, so for every subject, we had a 
um, specialized teacher for that year. And for the Finnish system, we went to, again, much smaller scale, much uh, lighter workload. Um, but basically, I think it was through uh, pre-K through sixth grade, I think. Again, don't quote me on it, but this is what I remember. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't find a note I took at the time. I'm, I'm, that's, I'm not good at that. Is that every teacher is trained to be capable of teaching every single subject, and they actually do rotate. For example, like somebody, you know, and then I was talking to, so that's extremely different from what I grew up with. But when I was talking to my uh, husband, who, you know, grew up here, he, they kind of share similar, there, there are some overlapping of that. Um, so it's not like this doesn't exist already. But what I what is different, you were saying, even though you you do have teachers, one, uh, one single person teaching different sub, multiple subjects. But what is different is there isn't, so the, the Finnish system is more lateral. So one person teach first year across the board. Or at least, you know, this, that's what one person does. They, they might have three or four teachers all teaching the first year, but they all need to be able to do everything. And then, you know, you get your second second grade circuit, that kind of stuff. And here in America, you every year you, um, you still have different teachers teaching different things. And um, again, just for me, that was so drastically different from what I grew up with. I was, that really left an impression on me because I personally think that's a much better approach because it, let's just say for example pre-k through six what's really important is not to cram in their little minds as much knowledge as possible it's to help build the foundation and the network for them to to um so, so they can use that to build to solve problems and then what, what do i mean by that is to kind of help the students understand that okay sorry backtrack is to pave the way of them possibly understanding that every single problems that need to be solved in their life in their career path down the line is going to require a complex complex uh, solution and to achieve that you need to be able to have a broad spectrum of knowledge to begin with not that you have to be or you can be an expert in everything, but you need to you need to understand and acknowledge this and this and this exist. So somewhere down the line, when you're looking for a solution, even though you cannot use the specific um, information to solve your problem, but at least back in the back of your mind, you know, this field exists. I should go find this person or somebody who is specialized in this area to help me. You're not going to be you're not going to sit there and just be completely blindfolded and not knowing what to do. So that's really, really, and then that's a principle that students can apply in their academic and home life. And that's really important in terms of having a, a healthy and um, progressive life, if that's the right term to use. Just meaning like being able to, um, being able to build, being able to pull, yeah, I, I, for me, I would use the words, word, progress in life being able to develop I guess you can also say um, so that's why I like the way they did it like to, because a person the teacher who is teaching both math and music and PE they can find different different examples of the same principle the same thing they're trying to teach but in different but
but they can present it in different ways. First, it makes it much more interesting, and then it, it increases the chance for practice, which for kids, everything is just repetition. That's how they learn. For, to really help them memorize the things that they, they need to memorize. And then it's just, um, and then there is a better continuity in terms of you know, the whole semester or something, whatever their focus was at you know, the, any particular semester. Um, there's no you know, gap in communication. Everything, you know, there's just this one teacher, they go to them for everything. You know, I, I, I just really, really liked it. Um, so that's the second thing that really I really liked. What was the third thing? Um, uh, what else? I think that was uh, honestly there was a lot of more technical details, and you really see it. Kind of there is they they at least for the schools that we got to see, which I don't think are bad. They're probably like a pretty fair mid-level uh, public schools. Um, the, the kindergarten and the, the primary school, amazing. Like the, the school, I mean, also they were pretty new. Like you can, you can tell the facility is quite new. They were, the design is well, very well thought. And you know, the Europeans have a really good eye for very clean, very neat, and very comfortable in modern design. But when we visit one of the local high schools, it's just they're really, really, I think it was combined like sixth through eighth grade, something like that. It was, I, just, I remember seeing kids of fairly varied age. Um, the school seemed really kind of depressing. I guess it was, it was like my old high school, you know, there's not much, nothing eye-opening for the kids. But I guess at that point, they don't need to wow the students so much anymore. They, everybody's kind of you know, planning on getting to their path, which I don't really agree. I feel like I personally think you know, students at that age, in high school age, not that they need to be given any kind of luxury, but they should be getting into um, an environment where they can tell that everything in this environment is well thought out and well designed, and that's what they should continue to strive for once they become an adult, which is in their immediate future. Like that's to me, I would think that feels pretty empowering. It's 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 an because it, you are in an environment that was created by somebody who was you know paid. It's not like they it's not like it was a charity or anything. But they were paid to do a good job and they did it. So now that you are at the point where you can also make a decision to learn something to do a good job and you will get paid well if you do it, I feel like that's a pretty positive message to send to high schoolers. Instead of just kind of throwing a bunch of taxpayer money into building this flashy, fancy new facility and you know throw in the latest technology and this and that but in the in the details you just see all kinds of people trying to sweep things under the rug or this is just not done yeah somebody didn't really think it through that kind of stuff um so yeah that's an, another thing what else i know i fully understand i'm very rambling this is not an academic report i'm not doing a presentation maybe i should have but i don't have the energy to do that right now i really just want to 
kind of summarize this experience for myself and then to communicate because uh, not gonna lie, most of the people who actually listen to me right now are the friends and family that I have encountered after I left China. And then a majority of them resides in the States. And I, for the people who never really had a chance to witness an education system outside of the States, I just wanna kind of broadcast this idea, not that I'm shitting on American education system, I'm just saying there are things to be, that we can strive for, things that can be started at a small scale, things that can be started as a pilot program, and then America really needs to be shown these positive examples so they can even be considered somewhere in the future to become a viable solution and they actually be a fundamental part of the education system here. Because I really, and this is a trend because of you know economy and everything, this is a trend you observe globally, the voice of um, content, the voice of brainless content, have been have been has been getting louder and louder. Just people saying, you know, especially here in America, because in China you don't really have an option for that. If you want to say, you know, I'm just gonna kick my feet up, drink a beer, and then you know I have my family and my dog. I'm good. I don't need anything else. I don't need the fancy cars and this and that. In America, that's actually a choice. You can actually do that. Mind you, you're gonna pay for that once you're over fifty. But it's it's a choice you can make. But in China, unless you unless you actually came from generational wealth, you don't get to make that decision. People are gonna come after your shit. I'm not gonna say who that people who those people are, but they're gonna come after your shit. If you don't if you don't pedal, you're gonna sink real soon. So there is no luxury whatsoever for somebody to make that decision. So consider yourself lucky. Talk about privilege, and that goes across the board. The, it goes across the racial board. Anybody who is just comfortably content, like I don't want to think about progress. I don't think it's necessary to, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. While it's just completely overlooking the very broken education system that we have over here, a very broken public education system for uh, lower economic status um, cities and towns in this country. I just that's. Uh, that's people being purposefully ignorant so they can feel better with themselves. And I don't like that. And they usually do that. You know, that's usually compounded with revisionist history of over-romanticizing history. It's just not healthy. It's not, I'm not saying history is not worth studying. No, history is very important. In terms of learning the mistakes and recognizing the patterns, but just constantly, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We all know those people who spend a little too much time and energy on history, and that's not even their field. Like what? Why? Um, Finland was so cold, and mind you, I went there after visiting Chicago. I thought I knew what cold was. I grew up in the north. I thought I was good with cold. Shit, Helsinki is so cold. Jesus goddamn Christ. Like, it's the kind of cold. And then, again, like, life has been, I've been so much easier since I was maybe 12 or so. Um, it's just because we have heating and this and that. It was just, 
you know, my, I kind of forgotten, and I always lived really close to school, or lived, you know, boarding school, but I kind of forgotten about, like, commuting in the snow, like, walking in the snow, where the wind gets into your nostrils, and it freezes your nose hair, and when you try to breathe, like, when you're when your nostrils kind of contract, that frozen nose hair pokes the inside of your nose. It fucking hurts. It was, yeah, it was just really, I remember that. I remember stepping out of the hotel because we need to go somewhere. It's, it, it's, it is reasonably within walking distance and it would be stupid. And there is no way you can actually get a taxi to go to that place it, because it's a walking path that leads you directly, directly there. But it was just so cold. And, um, um, and then we saw just you know during our trip we saw a lot of um, a lot of art displayed and that really that's where you see the difference. I mean, again, I I'm definitely not in the camp of saying Europeans does everything better, but in terms of education of the arts, they are really standing on the shoulders of giants. So even for the art education for kids, they are the, the teachers there, the, the things that they displayed on the walls, which are not displayed for us, they were just there because that's the project they recently have done, is quite impressive and fun. Like even I, I was just thinking like these kids, they were third, fourth grade kids. I was trying to recall when I was that age, like I would be very engaged and very thrilled to do some of the projects that they have displayed. And it was just, you know, it, 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 was, it was good to see. And then, you know, they have a, even even for um, primary school kids, they still take naps. Um, I, I don't remember whether you can opt out of that. But we did, we stayed there for lunch, they uh, ate at the cafeteria. Um, pretty good lunch, a little bland, but it was healthy enough. And then, um, the kids, they all have those thick yoga mats that they lay down and take a take a nap in the classroom. I know kids here do that too. I'm not saying that's anything unique. I'm just saying I'm happy to see kids get to rest, you know, in the middle of the day. And uh, oh, and then there was one uh, kindergarten that we visited. Oh, this the space was so well designed. And to think, like that kind of facility, that level of thoughtfulness in design and in aesthetics in, if it was in China or here in the States. Well, I, I, no, I'm not going to speak for States because I actually haven't seen the majority of the country. But in China, you are going to have to pay through the nose to squeeze your head in there. It was so pretty and it was just, oh, I loved it. And um, they had these um, pull-out little closet beds for the kids that you can pull away at the end of the day. It's a, the kind of thing you see on Pinterest a lot, but they actually have it there. And then, mind you, this is a public school in a, you know, in not the best area in, in a city, but it's, it's you can tell, like, there are, you know, tech companies around it. Their parents are doing pretty well. But it's just to think, if you can think, because like, what I have observed in America is a lot of people really grow up their entire life. They really haven't seen anything pretty. Like, they're, the, the physical spaces they've, traveled or studied or stayed in are not very well designed. This, the, the design thinking and process was just not part of their life. And then you can just imagine how impressed and shocked they are. And then also, because they start from a very low starting point, it's hard for them to get into those fields. 
to pioneer, to innovate. So that kind of just takes away a lot of possibilities for a lot of these people. And uh, and also, it's just, I mean, this is a joke, and then I fully recognize that it's a little mean, but this is my own fucking show, so I don't give a shit. Um, it's one thing I remember joking with my husband about, because I, I was telling him how some of the... Um, some of the American celebrities, you know, I grew up with seeing a lot of all of the Hollywood faces, right? So we're very well trained into recognizing what beauty is according to their standards. And but it's just you've always seen this craze for sex and attractiveness portrayed in these movies. And it's just I've always been I've always never never really understood why do people just lose their fucking minds when they see some of these good-looking people. I mean, granted, it's attractive. I would look twice, too. But just the, that intense desire for that. And when I came to the States, when I really seen the people who are not the prettiest that lives in L.A. or New York or, you know, San Francisco or whatever, or even, even D.C., I mean, there's not really a lot of attractive people in D.C. Because that's not their business. I came here and I saw the American public. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, uggos all around. Like, I'm not... And again, I'm, I'm very open-minded when it comes to facial features and stuff. I actually, in my drawings, I don't like to always draw beautiful people. I appreciate facial structures, different, you know, your personality in like an individual's facial features and then their body language, body structure. I appreciate diversity. And when I came to the States, really, you've always, you know, hear about American people being overweight because of this and that. When I came here, I was legitimately shocked by the amount and the level of obesity here in, in America. Like if you grew up and not a single soul in your five-mile vicinity is under 200 pounds, when you see somebody walks in, like, I don't know, what's a good example? We recently watched Pam and Tommy. Let's, let's say Pamela Anderson. Like, I don't really like her face, but goddamn, that girl is hot. But if you see that on the screen and have the fantasy implemented in your brain, you can't shed that. Like, you look around, fuck, that's, a, that's depressing. And then, and this is a topic from a different day, but just like the, the normalizing of obesity, especially come from coming from Hollywood, is so hypocritical. It almost, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I almost feel like they want you to stay ugly so they can market beauty back at you. They, now they have double standards of beauty now. So instead of only having one product they can market it to you, they have so more money to them and you still being who you are um so that's i completely digress but i'm just trying to say like the environment children having an opportunity to be put in an environment that's filled with clean comfortable but well thought out aesthetics and design gives them a great starting point when you put them in a not-so-well-designed facility, they are able to recognize the difference. 
and I personally appreciate that kind of level of resources a local community can have. Um, and then, you know, obviously, when we go through, um, they also showed us all the, at the time, the 2018, the cutting-edge technology they were using, how they incorporate AR in their teachings and this and that. And I did, I, you know, we, we were there observing for a whole morning, and I see, like, obviously, they were teaching, so for that particular class, they were using AR to teach um, anatomy of, they, I think they had different body parts, different organs they can choose to learn, from, uh, to learn, to study. They had the lungs, the brain, and the heart. And then basically with the technology, they were able to, you know, feel through different layers, and then you, you can rotate it, you can enlarge and this and that to see the in, inner workings of your organs, which is pretty cool. But then again, being kids, kids being kids, it's, you know, 80% fun, 20% learning. So that's why I've always thought it's really not a necessity of quality teaching to have technology. If you have the money, then absolutely incorporate it. If you don't have the money, that is not an excuse for poor quality of teaching. That's my point, I guess. Um, and um, oh, and this this is pretty interesting. Uh, one of the presentation from the the primary school we went to. Uh, one of the slides, the 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 headline was. All children and young people guaranteed with hobbies. It's basically creating the opportunities for kids to find something that they actually enjoy. Because it's not just learn, learn, learn. And if you're not good at learning, you're not good at anything. It's based. And then it's not like, oh, we just encourage everybody who can afford it to do that. But no, they actually make an effort to make sure. Because what a, what a hobby is at that age is a second channel to learn. So if you're not doing so great the way things are taught at school, they're going to find a way to teach you through your hobby. So it basically is giving kids a second chance. What does that require? It requires extra work going into by the teachers. But I, I really appreciate that concept. And if that is being, instead of, you know, I, obviously, I think they have free college. I honestly don't know. Again, small country, high tax, doesn't, high tax rate, doesn't matter. But... Just the, the thought, if I have to choose, if I have to say that one chunk of money that I have to make a decision where to allocate it, I would absolutely put it into enriching and improving the quality of fundamental education than to offer free higher education. Because higher education is a choice. And if you know, you're 18, you make that decision. Do you want to invest in your future? Is there something you want to pursue? Not that because everybody else is doing it, but do you actually see a point in doing it? If you do, if you're lucky enough, your parents pay for it, that's a different thing. But if you do have to take on student loan, this is your decision, right? But earlier, for early um, education and development, that's not really a choice. Everybody needs to have these tools. And that really is one of those things that's for the betterment of society, for everybody to be equipped with these kind of thought process and tools to be creative and be have even possess the possibility of becoming a problem solver in somewhere down the line. So I really like that. Um, that's, that's, I, I was going through all the photos I took on that trip. That's pretty much most of the points that I really wanted to mention for myself and for whoever that is listening to me.
I do appreciate you um, staying with me. Um, and then I did, it was, a, it was a fun trip, you know, outside of learning, absorbing all these new information and being able to actually talk to all the people on the same trip who actually work in this field. I learned a tremendous amount um, from that trip. Um, unfortunately, because I'm not the best at, and I didn't, because I didn't really actually start my project. So it, it, it was difficult for me to maintain. I still have them on social media, but it's just hard to maintain an actual relationship with them. But I'm still keeping tabs on what they, they have been doing. So, and I have to say, the people who made the decision to go on that trip, the people who have the initiative and desire to learn what is better and how they can bring it back to their own society, to their own community and family, um, they can't do too poorly in terms of life outside of it's just bad luck. Uh, and we got to hike. I got to jump in a frozen lake. That was really cool. We went, you know, we did one of those saunas and then you run out jump into the ice hole and then you gotta run back to the sauna thing that was really cool we walked through a snowy forest a little bit at night and then had like cream and mushroom soup made with mushroom that they picked on that mountain it was it was like especially after a cold snowy walk oh my god that was the best thing i've i've had for a long time it was just through and through very enjoyable and i think on the way back i came back to chicago and picked up the cat and brought it back to and uh, if you, you know, it, and it, again, unless you are, for people in America, for, you know, born and raised here, it's one of those things, unless you actually are on the path to become an educator or in that field, it's, you rarely get this kind of opportunity to do, to kind of really get an eye-opening experience. And um, I wish there was more things like this here in the States. Not, you're not necessarily getting immediate financial return after this trip but it was just so enriching and it was it was a part of my life I will never forget and I'm very much looking forward to talk to my talking to my children about this when they are as they're going to be able to you know use some of this information relay it to them and to help benefit them and uh, I hope some of the things I have said today is at least somewhat helpful for whoever's listening to this as well and if you have anything you want to discuss, anything you disagree with me, please feel free to reach out. Um, and I really just, it's one of those things. I already cared about children. I already cared about, especially underprivileged children. Um, and I care about the quality of the education. I care about their treatment. I care about them being able to have, especially because we can afford opportunities for these kids to learn and live better not lavishly i think there's a lot of people make the wrong false equivalence of thinking a better life is being able to live like the kardashian they're the fucking bane of the earth's existence don't tell me about how kim kardashian is now after all said and done is trying to become a lawyer because she has found her cause she could have found that cause a long time ago that was her personal decision i I, you're like why are you going after kim kardashian i that family has put out much poison into society into this world across the globe i cannot forgive their existence and it, unless they really become the messiah and solve the world's problems they, i will never look fondly at them um again i just i already i digress again even before i became a mother i already cared about education and then after become a mother becoming a mother Again, I don't have time to do it right now, 
but I absolutely will try my best to every chance I get to kind of redirect my life back onto this path if I have a chance. And, and you know, I had, when I first left my job, when I was first, you know, still enjoying being a cute little housewife and sitting on my hand and wanting to do something, I really had this vision of uh, school, especially for younger kids, because this idea first stemmed from truly it's just for um, ex kids who are still living under fairly extreme poverty in China, in very rural parts of China. I mean, things might have gotten a lot better for them. Um, I haven't really kept tabs in that because I just I'm not in that environment right now. Um, but at the time, you know, it was still very common to see on the news where kids have to scale a cliff, have to walk miles on shoes that has holes in them to, to school, or, you know, a, a little school in a village that at risk of being closed, and so the kids have to leave their family anyway to go to a different town to go to school because they just don't have the, the local authorities don't see the reason of keeping a school open and no, no teacher wants to come back to this little village to teach and live here, that kind of stuff. So it really, um, I, at the time, I was thinking, all my time, I was thinking about working on this model of school that can uh, produce the majority of the food that they consume, and then just through ways of redesigning the curriculum, really bring about change in terms of quality of education, in early education. And um, I kept this concept going, I kept thinking about it for years, and then, you know, I, I don't, I'm not in the position I don't have the resources to really bring a project of this kind of magnitude and complexity to life. And years later, guess who had the same idea? And very unfortunately, he is not the person who actually followed through with it. It was Kanye West. Oh my God, when he went on to Rogan, because he was running for president. <laughs> and then he announced that he's you know doing this Christian school and this and that, like outside of the religious component. His concept for the school is the, is the spitting image of mine. And it, God, if, if it was geologically possible, I really wanted to volunteer and just hire me. If I can have your money and resources to do this, I can fucking do it. Oh, but you know, that project kind of seems to have fizzled, which is a, such a shame because, God, if a person with that kind of resources really could put together a team to bring that vision to life, that would be revolutionary, but unfortunately, it's just not <laughs> the right person. Uh, so hopefully, I don't know, maybe the, the path of myself and my vision will cross sometime, some, at some point in the future. I really, God, I would, that would really be, talk about like self-actualizing. Outside of being a mother, which I never really strived to be. It's not like I always wanted to be a mom. I never, I never, not really. But now that I am a mother, being a great one is definitely on my list. And um, I don't want to just willy nilly and blink and like, oh, what's going on with my kid? I don't know. That kind of stuff, you know? Um, outside of being a great mother and producing good kids who are going to become intellectual, independent citizens of the country and the world who can possibly contribute to solving some of our problem and able to enjoy their life. 
this project is probably what I want to do the most. That's why for the longest time I didn't want to do this arts thing because it's just, I like drawing, I really enjoy it and I would like to pursue it, but it really is not my life's passion. So for the longest time, I just didn't want to start. Like if I have to choose between a school project and my art studio, I just choose a school project in a heartbeat. But it came to the point where the school project is just not going to bring me anything. And then if I start teaching students right away, I at least get some, get some income, you know? And I did like to, because I, I kind of picked my students when, when I started. Obviously, you think I'm not in a position to pick. But if, if I come across a kid who just already had everything in life, and their parents are supportive, and they have the resources, and they're old enough to actually learn, I would just tell them, this is the artist that I follow on social media. I know you use social media. Just follow their steps. And then, you know, it's already much easier to get into an art school here in the States than what it is in China. So just follow their steps. Just keep at it. Um, and then don't fixate on it. But if you really like it, just keep at it. You, you're fine. But if I come across the students who really need some something alternative outside of schoolwork, outside of their, 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 their parents' sphere of influence to find themselves, to explore, to know more about art, I would choose to teach those students in a heartbeat. Um, just because, not because I think I will be able to train them in to become artists, but because I believe the way I teach art, that my approach can help them further develop and then like not be so bogged down, not be so oppressed and not to think, if you can make one teenager not to not think that life is meaningless and boring, do anything you do, in a positive way, and I think that's very valuable. And then for me, who somebody who does not have a, you know, formal training as being an educator, if I can do that in my path, I might as well do it. So that's eventually kind of why I decided to. And before, I'll just teach teach my students, and I I really enjoyed it, you know. And that is that is a far stretch from being my life's passion, which really is education. It's the root. It's a very long and slow solution, but it can solve so many things. And um, yeah. Oh, so I guess I'll wrap it up. That's what he said. I'll try to see you guys next week. If I don't get to, because we're going to be away for a bit, um, if I don't get to update, drop a new episode next week, I am so sorry. I will make it up to you when I come back. All right, that's what he said. You guys have a good Easter.